Right, this is Access Reality. I'm Ali Kadili. We're honored to have Dr. Robert Zubrin again, who is the president and founder of the Mars Society, president of Pioneer Astronautics, which is an R&D aeronautics company in Colorado, has authored over 200 technical and non-technical publications on space and Mars, and his most recent book is The Case for Space. Thank you, so. Thank you. All right, all right. So you've presided over many competitions um, through the Mars Society for the design of Mars colonies. And I just wanted to ask you, what are the criteria by which you judge those? Or in other words, what are the key elements that are essential for a self-sustaining Mars colony to be successful? All right, well, um, for instance, we had a competition last year uh, to design a 1,000 person uh, Mars colony. And um, the teams were given uh, 40 points for the technical merit of their design, uh, 30 points for the uh, economic uh, uh, basis of it, that is the, uh, for the colony to become self-supporting, um, and then 10 points each for the um, uh, social, political, and aesthetic aspects of the uh, colony. All right, great. Um, and can you just go over the highlights of what the technical requirements would be? You well, have they more. have to propose something that'll work, uh, that will keep people alive, that uh, meets the, the basic requirements of um, a functioning settlement. So they have to propose a life support system. They have to show how much power it will need. Um, and, and, and so forth, and how to grow the food, and all, all these sorts of things, uh, how to make other materials. Um, this feeds over into the economics, because the more materials you can make on Mars, the less you need to import from Earth, um, and that uh, basically eases things up on, on that front. Um, the, uh, the economics, in other words, what is... Uh, Sure, if, if you have uh, the right technology base, you can minimize your imports from Earth, but you're always gonna need some. And um, so how do you make some money here? Um, and, um, you know, there are various ideas that people had. Um, some had mining of rare earths, some had tourism. Uh, I particularly like the idea of selling intellectual property. Um, that's, I think, inventions would be the primary export of Mars Um, uh, so, uh, there's that. Then, um, what is the political system? Okay. Um, and what form of society are you going to have? And, and both of those affect, um, will people really want to immigrate to this colony? Um, you know, there have been uh, colonization, immigration efforts in the past um, in which people were willing to uh, embrace considerable hardship relative to staying home just to go to a place where they had um, a political or social system that was in agreement with their ideals. Um, and um, on the other hand, uh, if those are repulsive, then people won't come. Uh, no matter how good the technical design is. Um, and then there's the aesthetics of it. Uh, you know, um, 
people want to live in an environment, and in this case, the environment, including the urban environment, the designed environment, uh, that is, is not ugly, that is beautiful. Uh, so it's not just the, I mean, sure, the first requirement is it's got to work, but the second requirement is someone needs to want to live there. Yeah, so if you don't mind, I'll just go briefly over each one of these. So for the technical, um, if you have a place that has life support, atmosphere, breathable air, everything like that, uh, and shields from radiation, um, is there still a problem with meteors, given that there's no atmosphere, that that may make it unsafe? Uh, well, much less than in space, uh, because the Martian atmosphere, as thin as it is, 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 is good enough to burn up micrometeorites. Um, which is the, the vast majority of the hazard. The, you know, in other words, uh, there's a hell of a lot more meteors the size of a grain of sand than there is the size of a baseball. Um, and, um, you know, uh, so the, the Martian atmosphere can, can protect you from that. Okay. And in terms of the economics of it, um, what does... What does economics even mean in a place like that? When you have a small colony on a different planet, is it really just tied to the economics of making the trips worthwhile and the resupplies to Earth? Is, is it tied to Earth, meaning we have to produce something so that it makes it worthwhile to bring us supplies from Earth or that some people can go back? Well, okay. Now, here's the thing um, about economics. I mean, the, the fundamentals of economics is... Um, not how do you make money, but how, how do you live? Uh, how, how, you know, there are people, the majority of people all over the world uh, don't live to make money. They make money to live. Um, you know, there are things I could do that would be more lucrative than my current profession. Um, and, and that's true actually of most people or, and even, uh, those who are trying to earn the most, people do things that impact their budget, like, for instance, having children, um, because that's more important to them than uh, buying luxuries. Um, and uh, so, and in fact, the ultimate um, measure of economic success isn't money, it is, I mean, it, on a societal basis. It's children, um, and uh, you know that—that's how you know the ultimate measure of, of winners and losers in in, in, in life. Uh, and the uh, so you know now there are people who live in the north of Finland who you know hunt reindeer and things like this, and they have to make enough money to buy some things from the world economy uh, that they do not produce themselves. And it's people nowadays, they've got radios, they probably have iPhones uh, uh, and, and, and all of this. But they only do enough of that to support their way of life because what's important to them is, is their way of life. Um, you see, and so um, the question of a Mars colony earning money, it's not so much that 
hey, Wall Street, this is the best way to turn a profit, start a colony on Mars. It's, and, and for instance, Elon Musk, you know, he didn't start SpaceX because this was the easiest way to make a buck. Uh, it's one of the hardest ways to make a buck is to have a, a rocket company. Anything it's super risky, right? Super risky. Uh, now, he's probably going to make money with SpaceX because he's good at making money. And he needs to at least break even with SpaceX if he's going to keep it going. He can't do it um, at a, a major loss for an extended period of time. Um, but it's, it's, it's about pursuing the goal. Um, so the, uh, so the, how will the Mars colony be able to support its imports? Because, you know, you, you really don't want to be autarkic. Uh, the poorest countries in the world are those that try to be autarkic. I mean, like North Korea, um, uh, as opposed to South Korea, which is part of the world economy. And people in South Korea, you know, uh, buy stuff that's from all over the world, and, and as we do. Um, and, 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 and so you have access to, to this tremendous global division of labor. Now, whether you have a thousand people on Mars or a million people on Mars, even a hundred million people on Mars, um, it's still rather small compared to the human race. And um, so you're gonna wanna be able to afford imports. You're not gonna wanna have to try to make everything. Now, you don't wanna import food. You don't wanna import steel. You, you know, um, you know these things, I certainly don't want to import water. I mean, that's ridiculous, okay? You want to import, you know, perhaps, um, well, you might import the equivalents of iPhones that they have at that time, or, or in any case, if, in other words, you don't import food. You don't even import the glass for the greenhouse. You don't even import the pumps for the greenhouse, but maybe you do import the chips that control the automatic control system that controls the pumps for the greenhouse, because that's too complicated um, to make on Mars. Okay, so you want to be able to make some money. Um, and, um, and as I say, people pointed out some things. I mean, you know, look, um, Mars has had a complex geological history. Um, and, you know, at one time you could walk around the earth and you could and, and people did find native gold on the surface of the earth. Um, you know, they had gold in ancient Egypt and they did not have terribly sophisticated mining and certainly not refining techniques. But, you know, in the past, you know, 5,000 years that there have been a lot of people on earth who have found gold to be of value, all that easy stuff has been found and now it's much harder. Now, it hasn't been the case on Mars. So there might be rich veins of very valuable materials that if space flight was cheap enough, you could export to the earth. Okay, that's one way to go. Uh, deuterium, which is the fundamental fuel for fusion reactors is six times more common on Mars than it is on earth. We had fusion power, it'd be valuable. Um, uh, if you, um, so there, you know, materials perhaps uh, then, of course, going to Mars, being on Mars is a unique experience. Maybe you could uh, make money off of tourists. Uh, 
certainly could sell to space agency research opportunities on Mars, hosting scientists who do research. Um, these things are possible, but as I said, I, I think that the, the, you know, the easiest thing to export across interplanetary distances is information. And the most valuable information that there is, bit for bit, is a patent. Um, you know, you can have a patent which is uh, a megabyte of information. It could be worth a billion dollars. Okay. So now, but and if you have this technologically adept population on Mars confronted with challenges of, of this frontier, they might come up with uh, thousands of inventions that you could license on Earth. Um, so other than um, that's a very strong case for the economics in terms of how it relates to importation of things and stuff from Earth. Uh, but how do you see the internal economic system of a self-contained, self-sustaining Mars colony working? Is there going to be a currency? Do people buy things? How do you think that will work? I well, know it I... depends on the size of the colony, of course, but at what threshold does it become in need of a, an actual economy? Well, I, I think that there will be uh, a currency. Uh, because a currency, uh, you know, if you don't have a currency, I can tell you, you know, you know, I'll fix your sink if you give me this. Okay. Uh, but that's really a rather difficult way to do business. Um, you know, you know, what if I don't need your DVD collection? Who's going to fix your sink? Okay. But if you say to me, I'll give you $200 if you fix my sink. And I know that with that $200, I could get all sorts of things, unlimited variety of things, then it's worth my time to fix your sink. Um, and this is why there's been money um, ever since there's been civilization. You, it's very difficult to do a civilization without a currency that can take any form of labor or value and transform it into any other. Um, that would be an independent Mars currency, not one of the Earth currencies. Well, now that's an interesting question. Um, initially, it probably will be an Earth currency. Um, but eventually, I believe that Mars is going to have its own currency. Mars is going to have its own government. And having uh, your own currency is, is part of being independent. Okay. Now, speaking of that... Um, if the choice was completely yours, what like a, what kind of political system do you think would be ideal for a Mars suited to a Mars colony? Okay, well, I, I believe that, frankly, it, it should be some form of combined government, as for instance we have in the United States, which has elements of. Uh, you know, from a classical point of view, democracy, aristocracy, and monarchy in it. Um, because you need all those things. Uh, and, and it will have checks and balances. Uh, I think the founders were very smart in um, uh, trying to create a government where no one person or group had unlimited power. Um, the, um, but what I do think that would be... Um, different than here um, is I would seek uh, every means possible to avoid restricting the professions that people could have. 
Um, you know, every society is typically blind to its most <laughs> common forms of oppression. Like, you know, if you read uh, ancient history that is written in ancient times, if you read the writings of Herodotus, the Thucydides, if you read Plato or Aristotle, um, you know, while being a slave is an unfortunate condition, uh, you will not find anywhere a criticism of the institution of slavery, um, that there shouldn't be slavery. Uh, and um, because it was the basis of their society. Now, in our society, you know, there's all these people that are you know, very aggravated over um, um, discriminations of various kinds. Uh, and some of these were, in fact, very serious in, in the past, for instance, against Black people in the United States. Um, but that has been greatly ameliorated. Um, but the, the form of discrimination that almost no one talks about is discrimination against the uncertified. Um, that is, we have set up this system where you have to have various certificates, high school diplomas, college diplomas, graduate degrees, or even just certificates to be, uh, you know, beauticians, um, or, or, or what have you, uh, which limit access of people to engage in various professions. In other words, you have plenty of people that would be very good teachers who don't have college degrees, let alone teaching certificates. Um, and this is uh, a very general form of oppression in our society. It causes people to spend years of their life to try to um, get the right certificates. Um, and lo very large sums of money, without which they would not be allowed to, to participate as full people uh, or to the full extent of their talents, put it that way, uh, in society. I think a Mars colony, uh, be precisely because it has a, a limited number of people and therefore a limited potential division of labor, uh, is really going to have very strong incentive not to put red tape barriers in front of people doing what they can do. Uh, and, uh, and I think there's one, this is going to be one of the things that makes it attractive um, and um, to immigrants from Earth. You don't have to be a member of the guild. Um, you know, that was to a, a significant degree one of the attractions of colonial and 19th century America. Um, so I think we're going to want to maximize individual freedom in that very important uh, area. Yeah. So it is in a way, it'll be like the new frontier or the new yes. wild west, not in a bad way, in a, in, a, in a good way in terms of potential for opportunity and growth and mm -hmm. less restrictions. Mm -hmm. um, now, I know you're not an expert in political systems, but from what you know, would it, would the political system resemble mostly what's in the United States then? Is that a good way to model it after that? Well, Okay, well, my imagination on this is somewhat limited. Uh, you're right. Um, in that, I think that a divided government, uh, we have division between executive, legislative, judicial, we have limited between federal and state, we have limited between the power of the judges and the power of the juries, we have uh, all, all these different kinds of, 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 of limits on each one. 
um, I think this is a good idea. But let me put it to you this way. Okay. I think that the imagination of humanity in terms of social thought is uh, not exhausted by the present age. Mine might be, but I believe that there's always going to be new groups of people that are going to have different ideas on this. And um, some of those ideas are not going to be workable ideas. And if they go to Mars and they try them out, their colonies will fail. But some of those ideas are going to be better than uh, the ideas that the rest of us currently hold. The only way you find it is experiment. You know, the founders of the United States called it a noble experiment. They put the ideas of 18th century liberalism into practice. People were acquainted with these ideas in Europe, but they thought they were just, you know, insane. And, and, uh, but here we tried it out and it more or less worked. And, and so millions of people voted with their feet to come here. So these people that go to Mars who have novel ideas on, on how to have human society, um, well, in general, people with such ideas are, are not popular among everybody else. Um, you know, they're considered to be weird or heretics or perverts or, 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 or just something just uh, unacceptable. And, um, well, they got to have a place where they can give their ideas a try. And if their ideas are better, they will show themselves to be better. And, uh, and then it'll be copied. And that will um, help humanity progress overall. Okay, so we agree that it'll be likely something just very unique. Well, I think there will be things that we're familiar with, and there will be things that seem very new and strange. And uh, and the best ideas will prevail. Okay. Um, back to the competitions. Um, can you tell us anything uh, that stands out for you in terms of what some winning designs were? Things you particularly like that you thought were ingenious and genuous? Hmm, interesting, because it's been a while now since... Uh, I saw the designs. Well, for instance, all the, you know, the top designs, we had a hundred competitors in the last competition and um, uh, we down selected uh, first to 25 semifinalists and then 10 finalists. And, and by the way, they're all in a book called Mars Colonies, which is available both in paper and Kindle forms on uh, Amazon. Um, the Kindle version is quite, inexpensive. Uh, um, the, the, um, so everyone could get that. Um, but, okay, they're all aesthetically interesting. Um, and now we had some, for instance, I can remember one uh, semi-finalist who was an architect um, woman and she, hers was hands down the best aesthetically, um, but she did not score well enough in some of the other areas. So it, in many of these um, designs, it's, it's not just that the winner, which was from MIT, um, you know, they had everything rather good, but there were some people who didn't win who nevertheless in one category or another uh, were the best. Um, and, and that'd be one example I would get. Um, so sure. Um, now, uh, they were all 
So all the top 10 were sound in every area. Um, okay, now the winner um, from MIT, in addition to being technical sound, they were actually of Greek extraction and um, Greek or Cypriot Americans or something. And, uh, and they proposed uh, an Athenian democracy as the basis of the government. Because, okay, it's a colony of a thousand people. Why not? Why do you need to have representative government? You know, why do you need to have people that you, you know, have to, you know, scream in their ears to get them to take action on something obvious, you know, um, and why not just do it directly? Um, so I do remember that. Um, the uh, the winners tended to have colonies that were power rich, uh, that is in electrical power, um, used nuclear power. Um, the, uh, I don't know, it's hard for me to remember all the features of these designs. Yeah, and you have a new competition going on for next October, I believe, is that right? Yes, now I haven't seen any of those uh, designs yet. Um, those are, uh, that's for a million person Mars city-state. And um, we'll see how that goes. Uh, things have been somewhat thrown off kilter by the uh, epidemic. Um, and while we're trying to still have the contest for this fall, it may be that some of the teams are having difficulty meeting with each other themselves. Yeah. Uh, so we're gonna have to see how that pans out. Um, did some of these aesthetic designs have trees? Oh, yeah. And is Martian soil um, um, conducive to actually growing trees in them, do you think, theoretically at least? Well, I think you'd have to clean the soil. Uh, you'd have to get poor chlorates out of it, but you can do that by washing it. Okay. Um, was, did some of them propose underground bases as a yeah, they there were some that definitely proposed underground, but I don't think that any of the winners were entirely underground. Um, Is it because you just don't like underground? <laughs> well, it's, no, there's a lot of merit to having the bulk of your habitat underground on Mars. Uh, you can be completely shielded from space radiation, for example. Um, but to be confined to a strictly underground life um, is restrictive. Uh, so there were some that were substantially underground and people spent most of their 24 hours underground, but in which nevertheless, they, they did have access to surface and light and, and that kind of thing. Uh, um, are there, as far as you're aware, any credible ideas to terraform the climate on Mars in any way that is not just pure science fiction? Oh, sure. Um, there's a general concept, um, that, uh, well, the first thing you need to do is create a global warming. You've got to warm the planet. Well, we know how to do that. Uh, and, um, you know, we're doing that on earth right now. But isn't um, that very slow though, the way we're doing it? Yes. But if we really wanted to do it, we could do it a lot faster. Um, that is, um, you know, global warming on earth has been about one degree centigrade since 1870. So that's one degree in 150 years since there's been serious industrial 
fossil fuel driven civilization. Okay, that's, yeah, that's pretty slow, um, which is a good thing because um, global warming is real, but we've got some time to deal with it before it has excessive effects. But on Mars, we would want much larger effects. Now, there are molecules we know about that are thousands of times more potent as global warming agents than carbon dioxide. Um, these are uh, um, fluorocarbon gases, um, things like CF4, for example, which is like a methane, but with fluorine substituting for the hydrogens. These are very strong molecules. They're not broken down by ultraviolet, and they have the fortunate characteristic that they do not destroy ozone, um, unlike fluorochlorocarbons, which do. Um, and these are used for refrigerants. If we produce them on Mars at the same rate we're currently producing them and related types of molecules, chemicals, on Earth, uh, but didn't put them in refrigerators or air conditioners or any of that kind of stuff, but just released it into the atmosphere on purpose. Um, if we did that at the same rate that is now being done globally on Earth, um, within 50 years, you'd warm Mars by like 10 uh, centigrades, uh, which is huge, okay? So that's 10 times as much as the global warming we've done on Earth and in one third the time. Um, if you did that, you would really, I mean, 10 centigrade warming is, is quite significant. And the, the, that would also cause massive amounts of carbon dioxide that is currently soaked into the soil to outgas and thicken the atmosphere. And CO2 in those sorts of quantities, of course, would be very strong greenhouse gas. And um, that would uh, warm the planet another 50 degrees. And at that point, the ice on Mars, the permafrost, the glaciers, uh, they'd start to melt and, and, and water would flow on them. You'd have enough pressure also for liquid water. And, um, you know, the dry rivers on Mars will flow again. The streams of Mars will flow. And um, as they once did, and they will fill up the lakes and oceans, and there will be rain, and which will also serve to clean the soil. And with the thick CO2 atmosphere providing a lot of shielding against uh, cosmic rays, um, the, uh, you could spread plants on the surface. And um, now, if the plants that you were using were the kinds of plants that we're familiar with now, uh, take about a thousand years uh, for them to make enough oxygen on Mars for people to breathe, less time for some insects and other things that don't need as good air as we do. But the, um, but I think that if we're talking about this being done, it's excessively conservative to assume that people are gonna be limited to, for instance, the kind of plants that we are currently dealing with. That is, if we're talking about something being done, it begun a hundred years from now and being full swing 200 years from now, it's hardly visionary to postulate that there will be genetically engineered plants that are more efficient at photosynthesis than the plants that have been evolved by nature. Um, you know, these plants that you see, uh, grasses, trees, and so forth, they're only about 1% efficient. If, you, if these were solar panels, they'd be 1% efficient in terms of sunlight into useful chemical energy. What if we can make plants that were 5 or 10% efficient? Then this thing could be radically sped up.
Um, and, and in fact, I'll tell you what I think. Okay, because you know, the scenario that I just outlined for you, fluorocarbons warming the planet, CO2 thickens the atmosphere, warms it more, water flows, plants grow, oxygen comes. Okay, that's in my book, The Case for Space, The Case for Mars even. Um, and I've done analysis on it. And I think that 200 years from now, Mars will have been terraformed, that it won't take a thousand years. It'll take a couple of hundred years. And if my book is available um, and Martians read it, um, they will look at it and they'll say, oh, this is cool. Here's this guy who wrote this book, Case for Mars in 1996, uh, 20th century engineer, and he's talking about terraforming Mars. That's, that's neat. Of course, he couldn't know that we were doing it with self-replicating nanorobots. Okay, the, the, that is, people who look at my idea on how to terraform Mars 200 years from now will look at it the same way we look at Jules Verne's moon mission. You know, in 1865, Jules Verne wrote this book, From the Earth to the Moon. And he, he tried to figure out how we could send people to the moon. And he launched them from Florida, it was a crew of three. They were in a capsule. It orbited the moon, and then it landed in the Pacific Ocean, and the crew was picked up by a United States Navy warship, all as actually happened 104 years later. Okay, but how did he propel them? Heavy artillery. And you look at that and you say, wow, there's a lot here that's right. You even guess the launch site. Um, but heavy artillery, how 19th century can you get? And so similarly, I think that, you know, 200 years from now, the Martians reading my book will say, you know, he got a lot of things right, but there's an awful lot wrong here. I mean, the, you know, fluorocarbon gas factories, how 20th century can you get? Uh, but, but the fact that we can kind of scope it out, even though we probably almost certainly have the wrong answer because we're I'm a 20th century mind dealing with a, you know, a 22nd century problem. Um, is an existence proof that it can be done. Now, sticking with 20th century imagination and capabilities, is there any other way to produce oxygen in the atmosphere other than plants? Well, plants are the best way uh, that we know of because, okay, plants are self-replicating nanomachines. Okay, the biology is nanotechnology, because it's microbes with all sorts of very complicated machinery there. Now, the question is, um, can we, okay, first of all, improve that? I think we can, because it's improving itself all the time. Um, I mean, that's what evolution is, biology improving itself. Uh, so I think we could do that. But are there other things that are not biological in nature, except in as much as we, who are biological phenomena, after all, are constructing them. Um, can, you know, in other words, you know, back, I guess it was in the 80s, uh, Eric Drexler wrote a book called Engines of Creation about building machines on the microscopic scale that would be self-replicating. These would be nanorobots, uh, but not 
nanorobots in the sense that bacteria are, but in the sense of being purely artificial constructions, in the sense that you, you know, you think about a robot made of steel or something. Uh, you know, could you do this and then could you program them? And he worked out a theory on how this could be done. Um, and I, I think it's fundamentally true. Um, it's just, we're not there yet. Okay. And if you could do that, the potential of these things would be phenomenal. But, but clearly the idea of self-replicating machines, whether these are biological machines or purely artificial machines, um, is enormously valuable if you're trying to do something on as big a scale as uh, terraforming the planet. Okay. Um, now, can you tell me what's happening with the Mars One project? Because I know it was on for a while, then it said it was dead because no funding, and now it seems to be back on again. I know you're well, on I haven't there. heard it came back on again. That's interesting. I, I, I thought that it had uh, fallen apart, but maybe it has come back. I, I don't know. I, I'm not familiar with it. I'm just judging by the website. I think I went on it at some point and it said it was on, you know, on hold for now. And then recently it seems to be back on again. I don't know. Well, it could be. Um, I mean, the fundamental thing that Boss Lonsdorf wanted to do was create a reality TV show uh, of uh, people trying to be selected to go on a Mars mission. Um, I don't think any such project could actually fund a Mars mission. But Certainly, such a project could potentially uh, be a successful television show, and if the right people decided to go for it, then that part of Mars One could be back on. Okay, so it seems certain now that it's SpaceX that is going to get us there, but not not. Well, nothing certain, but certainly SpaceX is. <laughs> well, SpaceX has always been a more a realistic prospect than Mars One. But I think at this point, SpaceX is also a more realistic prospect than NASA. Um, the, uh, or I think actually what will happen is as SpaceX uh, makes the Mars mission more feasible by, for instance, if they can get the Starship flying and with reliable uh, performance and you know, low-cost launch to Earth orbit of Saturn V-class payloads, uh, that all of a sudden makes the Mars mission a much more straightforward proposition. And if Starship is flying regularly to Earth orbit by 2024, and I think it will be, um, then whoever's elected president in 2024 uh, will turn to uh, his or her uh, advisors and say, look at this, could I have people on Mars by the end of my second term? And the answer is gonna be, yeah, sure. Uh, and is it gonna cost hundreds of billions of dollars? No, tens of billions of dollars? Well, maybe 10 billions of dollars. Well, then let's do this. And so at that point, the US government will throw its hat in the ring and NASA will meet uh, SpaceX halfway. Because, uh, and I think that'd be a very valuable thing to do. I, I, there's lots of things in the Mars mission that would be very difficult for SpaceX to develop. For instance, space nuclear reactors, which require highly enriched uranium. Musk is not gonna get his hands on that. Uh, but the U.S. government has it. And uh, so there's a whole array of, 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 of technologies that are needed to support the Mars mission. Musk is developing um, some of the most important, but there's plenty left for NASA to do. And I think at the point when he makes it attractive enough, America will come in and we'll do this together with Musk. Yeah. 
So as far as Mars One goes, I know they were very active and good in terms of publicity, marketing, recruiting, potential people and all that. Were there any actual details of, uh, you know, the technical capabilities and how exactly it will be accomplished? Or well, I don't think Mars One um, developed its technical ideas very far, uh, but that wasn't really important. I mean, in principle, that would not be my criticism about um, not a fundamental criticism because if you actually got the money to do the Mars mission, you could, you'd have the money to hire the engineers to work out all the technical details. Uh, my criticism would be more that what he was proposing a reality TV show as the financial engine to support this was completely unrealistic. Uh, and that I think it's possible to have a privately funded Mars mission, a privately funded Mars uh, colony, but you have to organize this on a much broader scale. Um, you know, some of the most profound colonization efforts of the past 400 years, including say the pilgrims coming to Massachusetts, the Mormons going to Utah, uh, the, the Jews going to Palestine, um, were all strongly backed. The actual colonists were, were funded by uh, very large home front organizations. And we need a home front organization. We need an international Mars settlement society, which is, you know, you got 7 billion people on earth. At least a billion of them are living in the advanced sector where people aren't worried about whether they're gonna eat tonight. And, um, you know, and they have substantial discretionary incomes. Well, if you have a billion people, $100 a year times a billion people, well, okay, not all the billion are into Mars, say 10%, okay, believe in human expansion of space. So you got 100 million people times $100 a year, you know, which is what someone pays for a ski lift ticket for a day. Um, that's 10 billion a year. That would be enough to fund a privately funded Mars colonization effort. Not a reality TV show, but yeah, an international Mars settlement uh, organization. And I think we'll have that. Once um, Musk starts making this a more realistic possibility, uh, I think it will be possible to establish such an international base, uh, a home front organization that will support the Mars colonization effort and will support the Mars colony. Yeah. Now back to getting there, uh, there's still um, a good deal of people in the scientific community who believe the moon should be a stepping stone and that's where we need to go first. Um, do you really need that or is just having a way to refuel in the orbit of the earth enough? Well, I don't think you certainly don't need a lunar base to go to Mars. And if I had a lunar base, I would not make use of it to support going to Mars. Okay. That's like saying if I'm flying from New York to Los Angeles, I should use the airport in London. Uh, it's just, in a different place. Airports in London are useful, but not for flying from New York to Los Angeles. Um, and and if someone made me go to London on my way to Los Angeles, they would be making the trip more difficult to do, a lot more difficult. So, you know, people want to go to the moon, they should go to the moon. Um, but it's not needed to go to Mars and it's not helpful to go to Mars. Uh, Refueling in Earth orbit, well, that is how Musk has designed his mission. I would not design my mission that way. I, I think that they should just create a smaller starship that could be carried to orbit, fully fueled by the big starship, 
and it could just go. We do need to refuel on Mars to come home, um, but um, but okay, you could also refuel the. You could do it Musk's way. Um, it, it poses certain challenges, but it's in principle doable. So was your waste um, more similar to the shuttle program? No, neither. Neither of these is similar to the shuttle program. Okay. Um, the, um, I would simply, you know, Mars Direct, uh, when I originally designed it, uh, we used an expendable heavy lift launch vehicle to lift the trans-Mars craft to orbit, and then they would be fired off to Mars. Uh, Starship is just a reusable heavy lift vehicle. I could use it the same way. Um, now, Musk wants to send the whole damn Starship to Mars. Um, so he then he puts one starship in orbit and he uses five more to refuel it so it can fly to Mars. Um, my problem with that is if you, have, if you want to get the starship back, it's a very large Earth return vehicle, excessively large. Uh, Musk's answer is, we'll just deliver enough hardware to Mars to make the propellant to send it back because he only wants to design one flight system. Okay, and of course, that's a reasonable position. Uh, my position is that de designing two flight systems, a full-scale starship and a mini starship, we can reduce the requirements on Mars. That's an engineering trade. We'll see how it pans out. Yeah. Now, when you first um, thought of this decades ago, and you must have decided in your mind, okay, the next best logical step for space colonization is Mars. That's what I. That's what you chose when you looked yes. at the solar system. Mm-hmm. Um, now some people are saying, you know, some other places in the solar system might be a better uh, fit, like Titan has an atmosphere. Well, that's the problem that it's just farther away. Is that the only issue? Well, it's a lot farther away. <laughs> okay, it's a hell of a lot farther away. Um, you know, uh, you can get to Mars in, in in six months. We have with various probes. Saturn is six years, so it's ten times farther away. Uh, and um, solar energy at Saturn is only 1% as strong as Earth compared to Mars, where it's 40% as strong. Um, yes, Titan does have an atmosphere with a pressure uh, very similar to Earth. So really, uh, in a sense, on Titan, you don't need a spacesuit. You just need some very warm clothing and an oxygen mask. Um, but... Um, so there, you know, and, and Titans of considerable scientific interest. Um, and I think we'll go to Titan, but it's not next. Yeah. But you do feel that Mars is not just a stepping stone for the exploration, for further exploration of the... Well, not just a stepping stone, but it is a stepping stone. But it could Mars, also be a destination. Mars is a new world, Okay. And it will lead to other new worlds, including, yes, the outer solar system and to the stars. Uh, the, the, you know, so it is not the final destination. It's the direction. But it's the challenge for our generation. It is the, the thing that will determine whether we will be a single planet or a multi-planet spacefaring species with an open future. Yep. All right. I think some of us are going to start a petition uh, to Elon Musk or NASA to basically get you a villa overlooking the Valley Marinaris on seven days. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, Dr. Robert Zubrin. It's been a pleasure talking to you again. It's been my pleasure too.